Book of Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to begin with verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired or gained a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now if you follow the story, you know that Cain ends up killing his brother out of anger and jealousy. Because when they brought these offerings before the Lord, the Lord, New King James says, respected Abel's offering, but did not respect Cain's offering. And the only difference I see in these offerings is that Cain's offering was just the fruit of the ground, or it seems to be a common, regular thing. Maybe not even the best he had. Just a common thing. Abel, on the other hand, offered the firstborn of his flock. He gave the first and best to the Lord. Now, the Bible says over in the book of Hebrews, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it talks about this, and the author of Hebrews says, By faith, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, and, and through it he being dead, still speaks. So the Hebrews writer says that Abel's offering was an offering of faith. It was an offering that came out. How many knows it's impossible to please God unless you have faith? Unless you have faith, it's impossible to please God. God is looking for faith in our hearts. How many times in the Gospels did Jesus commend someone on their faith or their great faith? The centurion servant, the Syrophoenician lady, the woman with the issue of blood, on and on and on. Or how many times did he rebuke his disciples over a lack of faith or little faith? So faith is very important in serving the Lord and very important in pleasing God. But in this story, Abel brings the first and the best to God. And it's an issue, I think, of priority. That putting God first is what we need to be doing because putting Him first pleases the Lord. It said the Lord was pleased with Abel's offering, but not with Cain's offering. Now, some scholars believe there was an immediate manifestation that happened. Maybe when Abel offered his offering, there was fire from heaven that licked it up. We're not told that, but there was some indication that God had received that offering immediately, but was displeased with Cain's offering. Interesting. It was an offering of faith. So when we come before the Lord, we want to offer our best. We want to offer our best in life to Him. The best of our time, the best of our money, the best of our thoughts, the best of our, the best of our actions, the best of our family, the best of our calendaring. We want to give the best to God. It doesn't mean that everything we need, do needs to be wrapped up in the four walls of a church. You need to go live and be fruitful in whatever area God has placed you in in life. 
He's given you gifts and He's given you abilities and he gives, He's given you talents and He's given you a calling. Go be blessed and fruitful in that thing that God's called you into. And, it's, and, and really when you get into the sweet spot of who God's called you to be, that's where you mine out the giftings that He's placed in your life. Sometimes people want to, we see somebody else and we say, boy, that looks good. And then we step out of our area of giftings and we get over into somebody else's territory and try to do what they do. But God says, just stay in your lane and be a good steward of the manifold grace of God in your life. The grace of God is manifold in our lives and we're given a certain parameters within which God blesses us. Let's be a steward of that. Come on, say this with me. I'm going to be the best. Insert your name. Say your name. That I can be. It's like, I'm going to be the best. Insert my name. That I can be. Let's say it again. I'm going to be the best that I can be. I'm not worried about being Billy Graham or Oral Roberts or Benny Hinn or Joel Osteen. or I, Those guys are their own people. I'm Hans Hess. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I want to be the best I can be in my area of gifting. Okay. Why am I saying all that? Because I want to put the Lord first and I want to be well-pleasing unto God. So at the end, he can look at me and he can say, Well done! Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did what I, what I put in you to do. You did what I called you to do. You did what I gifted you to do. And you put me out front. Because the word priority really is dealing in a singular sense with one thing. That when we have a priority, it should be God. God should be the priority in our life. And when He's first in our lives, everything else will fall in line. Everything else falls in line. Because when you put God first, you put Him first in your family. When you put God first, you put Him first in your work or your profession. When you put God first, you put Him first in the t way, you, way you work your time. You put Him first in your decisions. You put Him first in how you spend money. You put Him first in how you talk to people and the seeds you sow through your words. You put God out there in first place and then God says, I'm well pleased with you. And it takes faith to do that. It is a faith offering if we put God first. Hallelujah. Because we can very easily default to putting self first. We can easily default to that. Hallelujah. Like some of y'all, this morning, the bed felt really good. But that alarm clock was going off. And it's like, okay, no, I'm going to get up this morning. And I'm going to give the first day of my week to the Lord. No wonder the ancient Christians chose the first day of the week to gather and worship as corporate worship. We're going to give the first to Him. When we give the first to Him, the rest is come in line and the rest is sanctified. We're going to put God first and give Him all the glory and then He's going to touch the rest. So I believe my, the, the other six days of this week are already blessed. They're already sanctified. They're blessed anyhow, but God just... 
I don't know. I'm just setting it right today and let, letting everything else line up in my week. And like, this is good. Can somebody shout amen? Turn in your Bibles to the right and let's go to Genesis chapter 22 and still talking about putting God first and the law of first things. Genesis chapter 22 is the story where God speaks to Abraham and asks him to sacrifice his only son, well, his only son by Sarah, his promised son, Isaac, ask him to sacrifice Isaac to him. And you have to think through this situation. Abraham was 100 years old or 100 plus now because the boy's got some age on him now. And then Sarah had this son when she was in her 90s. And so this was the son of their old age. This was the son that was going to be able to carry on all of the covenant promises that God had made to Abraham. That now everything that he had hoped for, his future, his inheritance, his wealth, posterity, his namesake, all is wrapped up in this one boy, Isaac. And then God comes and says, sacrifice him to me. I want the best you have. I want the thing most dear to your heart. And what does he do? By this time in his life, he's not wavering. He's not, I don't see him questioning. I don't see him arguing with God. If, if it happened, it's not in the text of Scripture. In Scripture, he's just immediately obeying. He gets up, the Bible says, and he starts chopping wood for the offering. Think of, It's a powerful scene. He gets up after God speaks this to him and goes out back and gets the axe and starts chopping wood. Starts chopping wood, loads down the donkey, takes two servants, gets his son, and they journey three days to the base of Mount Moriah. And there when he's at the base of that mountain, he looks at the two guys traveling with him, and he says, me and the son are going over here to worship, but we will return to you. I think it's a faith statement because the New Testament says that he had such confidence in God that he knew that even if he did have to kill his son, that God would resurrect that boy from the dead. That's how much faith he had in his heart. And he was willing, nonetheless, to offer the best he had to God. So he goes up on the mountain. They're carrying the wood. They're carrying the fire. And here's Isaac. And Isaac has this enlightenment moment where he says, Hey, Dad. And Abraham says, Here am I. He says, Hey, Dad. Here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And he says, the Lord will provide. That's where we get the term Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And they build the altar. They, 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 he puts his son on the altar. He raises the knife to get ready to kill the son. And the angel of the Lord stops him. He stops him and he says these words. I think it's really profound. He says, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing. This is underlined in my Bible is, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, in total obedience here. He says, blessing I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of the enemies, and in your seed shall all nations be blessed. Now this was just a reiteration of the previous covenantal promises he had made to Abraham. But why does he do it again here? 
I have to believe that God had promised these things to Abraham, but Abraham's obedience was a key to unlocking the, the rest of it. I, I, just, I think that's why the angel came and said, because you have done this thing, I'm going to fulfill the word I gave to you. Now, some people would say, well, if the Lord spoke it, then it's going to be done no matter what, no matter if he has to bring him unwilling or disobedient to it. I don't believe that. You look in the Bible, God told, was it Moses, several times that he was going to enter into the promised land. When it came down to the end, he didn't enter into the promised land. Does that mean the word of the Lord was not true? No, it means he disobeyed God and disqualified himself from walking into the promised land. So what about Abraham? Abraham obeys the Lord, and because of that, the rest of his destiny is unlocked. So I believe when we put God first and give God our best, I believe it opens up everything else that God has for us in the future. He has a plan. He has a destiny. He has a calling on your life, but it's going to take some priority in your life. It's going to take putting him out front and saying, Lord, we're going to put you out front and we're going to stand behind and you're going to open the doors and you're going to unlock every door that you have for me into my future. Because if we put him out front, hallelujah, he's going to lead where we can't even go. He's going to unlock doors we can't unlock. He's going to shut doors we can't open hallelujah he's going to move things out of the way he's going to bring people in our path he's going to set things in order in our lives come on somebody shout hallelujah so Abel gave the first and best and it pleased the Lord Abraham gave the first and best and it unlocked the covenant and the blessings of the covenant to get set in motion now let's look at another example. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 13. What's happening here in the book of Exodus in chapter 13 is that the children of Israel have been in Egyptian slavery, in Egyptian bondage for 430 years. And the Lord has sent Moses back to Egypt as their deliverer. And as they've gone there, now there have been nine plagues that have happened. And after these nine plagues, he's bringing the tenth plague to pass, which is the plague of the death of the firstborn. And the death of the firstborn of all living things. And it's God's final plague on Egypt as he opens up the doors of deliverance for the nation of Israel. And so it's interesting. That night, God had instructed Moses to tell the children of Israel, here's what you're to do on this night. You're to celebrate a dinner. And you're to bring your family together. You're to close the door. You're to eat certain foods and bitter herbs. And he gave the whole menu. And he said, you're to eat with your sandals on, with your staff in hand. Meaning eat, being ready to run out the door at the next moment. And then you're going to take a lamb. And you're going to sacrifice that lamb. And you're going to take the blood. And you're going to apply the blood over the doorposts of your house. And that night I'm sending a death angel into Egypt. And the death angel is going to take out the firstborn of every living thing, man and beast. But when it sees the blood over your door, it will pass over your domicile because the blood has been applied. And it was called the feast of the Passover. And isn't it interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus was crucified on the feast of 
Passover being the ultimate fulfillment of the Lamb of the Old Testament and uh, the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. But on that night, death happened to every firstborn living thing, even to the son of Pharaoh. And at the, in the middle of the night, Pharaoh is furious and distraught and he calls in Aaron and Moses and he says, go, get out of my country. And so they start the process of leaving. But yet in this process, God sets in order the law of the firstborn and tells Moses to tell the children of Israel this. It's very profound. Exodus chapter 13 verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Now in the history of Israel as it progressed into Levitical law, into them establishing the nation of Israel, the Israelites always were supposed to give the first of their flocks to the Lord. And even the firstborn child was not to be sacrificed. That would be immoral. But he asked for a payment of redemption. So the father was to go when they had a son, the firstborn, go to the temple and pay the redemption of the firstborn because every firstborn belonged to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? But here's what God said about it. He said in verse 9, he said, no, let's go back up to verse 7. He said, and you shall tell your son in that day, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up out of Egypt. So he's saying, when your son sees you, take the firstborn from the flock and offer it to God, that gives you an open door of opportunity to be able to teach your children why you're doing this. And he said the reason is because God brought you out of bondage and brought you into freedom. And now every time you give your best to God and every time you put God first in this, you're going to be able to retell the testimony of how God brought you out. Oh, hallelujah. And now God does the same thing in our lives. We get up early on Sunday morning and we're going to church. And the kids say, why do we have to go to church? You say, we're going to give God the first day of our week because God brought me out of darkness. Hallelujah. I was lost and I was undone. And he came and he called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is the least that I can do for the Lord. And then he said another thing. He said in verse 11, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites that he swore you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb, but by every firstborn. Verse 14, And when your son asks you, what is this thing? You should say, by the strength of the hand of the Lord, he brought us out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. So not only is it an opportunity to teach your kids, but number two, it's to be a memorial of what God has done for you. We give our best because God gave His best. We praise Him and put Him in first place because God made it priority number one that He would sin, not the second best of heaven, not the third best of heaven, not the fifth best of heaven. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send seraphim. He didn't send one of the 24 elders. He didn't send one of the four beasts around the throne. He didn't send some saint of old. Man, I feel like preaching this Sunday morning. 
But he went and he said, the Bible said in the book of Revelation that John said, I saw heaven. A door was open for me and I was taken up into heaven and I saw him who sat on the throne and out of the midst of the throne emerged a lamb as if it had been slain from the foundation of the earth. And the lamb was the only one able to reach out and take the scroll and unloose the the seals on the scroll. And then all of heaven and all of earth and all those in the sea and all those beneath the earth erupted in praise and the seraphim flew crying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and all heaven and earth shook when that lamb stepped out of the midst of the throne. God didn't give his second best. He gave his very best. God himself came in the form of a man. It's called the incarnation. Hallelujah. For God was birth of a virgin. Hallelujah. Preached unto the Gentiles. Seen of angels. Witnessed and then was carried up into heaven. In him resides all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When John saw him walking up to the river Jordan, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Nobody else could do it. Nobody else was worthy. But God gave his very best for you and I. I'm here today not because of anything I've done, but it's all because of what he done or what he did. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He had me in his bosom. He was thinking of me the whole time. He was thinking of you. And he said, I'm going to purchase them. They're going to be a precious possession. They're going to be a special treasure. They're going to be the apple of my eye. They're my heartbeat. Hallelujah. And I'm giving everything for them. For God so loved the world that he gave his very best. He gave his only begotten son. I don't know about you, but if you don't shout, I'm going to shout all by myself today. Come on, somebody. Give him a praise. Hallelujah. God didn't give us leftovers. He didn't give us last week's meatloaf. He didn't give us a couch from 10 years ago. Hallelujah. He didn't give us threadbearing clothes that have been worn out. No, he gave us the very best he had. All of heaven thundered and all of heaven shook at the emergence of this lamb coming forth somehow slain from the foundation of the world for you and I. Come on, one more time. Lift your hands and give him a praise. Come on, give him a praise this morning, church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In this passage, he says in Exodus 13, verse 2, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb. In the original Hebrew, it kind of reads like this. Consecrate to me that which opens every womb. I don't know if I'm totally correct on this, but it seems like it's reading, consecrate to me the firstborn, and then every other womb will be opened. It has this sense of this is the first, and all the rest is going to be blessed. So it's like when we give God our best, He blesses all that's going to come next. I'm going to say it again. It's like when we give God our best, He blesses all the next things. He blesses all the next things. 
Oh, hallelujah. Come on, you young folks, give your lives to the Lord right now. Right now, so the rest is blessed. You, you're just looking at clear skies, and you're looking at blessings and abundant life. Give, your, give Him your best now, and you don't have to go back. You know, uh, you know, my daughters and I have talked about this through the years. I said, Dad, we really didn't have those testimonies like you had or others have had. You know, I was, in, I was a drug addict and in prison and all these kind of testimonies. And I said, well, thank God. Actually, you have the greater testimony. That is, you came into this thing early and God kept you. You know, thank God for every testimony. We celebrate all of them, but don't feel bad if you got into this thing early and God blessed the rest of your life. You have the greater testimony, really. When we give Him our first and best, He opens up and blesses the next things in our lives. One more thing I want to show you. Turn with me to the book of Malachi. Some are like, I knew it. He's going to get to money before it's over with. But I want to show you something out of this. It's powerful. In the book of Malachi, the children of Israel had grown cold and backslidden on the Lord. And God came to them through the prophet and was calling them back. So you want to talk about revival. He's calling them back to revival. He's calling them back to righteousness. And here's how he does it. If you notice in chapter 2, begin with verse Let's begin with verse 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altars with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Said so you're coming and you're crying and you're, you're weeping before the Lord, but he's not receiving you. And you say, why? Verse 14, for what reason? He says, because the Lord has been your witness between you and the wife of your youth and how you've dealt treacherously with her. You've not treated your wife right. You can cry all you want to. You can come to the altar all you want to, but we can't pray disobedience off your life. I can't cast out disobedience. That has to be crucified. Thanks for all the amens. She's your companion and wife by covenant. It's a covenant thing. Verse 15, but he did, not, did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Yet he seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Treat your family correctly. Verse 16, for the Lord God of Israel says he hates divorce. For it covers one garment with violence, says the Lord. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You've wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied Him? They're dumbfounded and clueless. In what way? Every, in, in that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. They've gotten to the point where they saw evil happening and they said, oh, this is a good thing. It reminds me of 2023 in America. That now we've kind of gotten to where good is evil and evil is good. And now when you go so far from the shore, you can't see land anymore. And you can't see the standard anymore. So what happens? It says, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he who delights in them. Or where is the justice of God? Then verse 3, he said, I'm sending you a messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. 
and the Lord whom you seek. I think it's a, I just have to believe it's dual prophecy here where he's talking about the coming of John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus. And then I believe there's an, there's an ending, there's a, there's a second coming of Christ when all things will be just. It says, but who can endure, verse 2, the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap, and he'll sit as a refiner's fire and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. And it's interesting that the next book over is Matthew, where Jesus comes. Then verse 4, chapter 3, Malachi. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years, and I will come near to you for judgment. And God's going to judge these things. Sorcery, adultery, and perjurers, and those who exploit wage earners, and widows and orphans, and those who turn away aliens. Because they do not fear me, says the Lord. For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you're not consumed. He's meaning I still have some mercy left or I would have just, you would have been consumed. Working, exposing their unrighteousness and he's going to call them to repentance. And here's how it happens. The Lord says, return to me and I'll return to you. And you say, in what way shall we return? And he says, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? He says in tithes and offerings. Even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be, there may be food in my house. It, I, it's not just about money, it's about priority. They were bringing the worst to God evidently or coming in and going through religious ritual, but yet their hearts were darkened. They're treating their families wrong. They're treating the workers wrong. They're being unjust in wages. They're not treating foreigners who came in correctly. They're dealing with widows and orphans, not as they should have. They're evidently involved in sorcery, witchcraft, and perjury. But yet you come in and going through the motions in church? No, no, uh Or in synagogue or in the temple? No way. No way. God says, return to me. And this is how you return to me. Put me back in the first place. Here's how you come back. Set me back in priority. Don't make me the last thing on your list. Set me back out front. Put God first. How do you do that? Tithes and offerings. It was a commandment the children of Israel. Bring the tithes into the storehouse. In the Old Testament, they had a storehouse associated with the Temple Mount. That there was a temple storehouse. That's how the priests were paid out of that. There's a temple storehouse. Why? It's the way God set it up. It's the way God set it up. You bring the tithes into the storehouse where they were being fed and then that produces the return that he was looking for. And he says, if you do this and if you try me now in this, he says, see if I will not open the window of heaven. I'll open the window of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. If you'll put me back in first place and do what you're supposed to, I'm going to open up. This was an, an agrarian society, an agricultural society. So I think he says, I'm going to open up the reins of heaven. 
and I'll give rains to all your crops. And not only that, he says, and I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. Agrarian society, the devourer were the bugs and were the locusts eating the crops up. God said, I'm going to step in and rebuke all of those for your sake. Now some may be saying, Hans, you can't take this, and it's a wrong hermeneutic, to take this and apply it to the modern church and to modern lives. Well, thank you very much, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to take this passage... And I'm going to call this in in Hans and Dana's life. I'm going to call it in in Fountain of Life's life. And that is, I'm bringing my tithes and offerings into the storehouse. And I'm returning to the Lord in that way. And God has promised me He's going to open up the windows of heaven, which means an abundant supply for whatever I need to do the work He's called me to do. And then He's going to step in between me and those things coming to eat away at my life, whether it be depression or anxiety or financial lack. And I believe God's going to rebuke them off my life because I'm a tither and I've been faithful to the command of the Lord. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when you put God out in first place, he steps in and rebukes the devourer for you because now your life is ordered in proper position. Come on somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. I don't know about you, but I could use all the blessings. And he says, not only is he going to pour it out on you, you're not going to have room to receive it. Forget about it. You will not have room to receive all the blessings that I'm pouring out on your life. Because listen, listen, folks, it isn't about money. It's about priority. It isn't about money. It's about putting God first. God doesn't need our money. He's not setting up broken heaven. He's not waiting on a 401k, watching it every day, go up and down on the stock market. He's not in. The, he doesn't need any of that. He created it. The cattle on a thousand hills is His. The gold and the taters in the mountains are His. Everything is by His hand. He isn't waiting on it. But what He does want is our hearts. He wants our hearts and He wants to be first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus said where your treasure is there's where your heart or there's where your affections are. There's where your affections are wherever your treasure is. Wherever your treasure is that's where your heart is. So God says, put me out first. And when you do that, it sanctifies the rest. Because really, if you think about it, God has given us 100% of everything we have anyhow. And God's just asking for a portion back first. Give me the first. Give me, what's my, give me what I've asked. And it's a faith thing. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my past where I've sat there and prayed, God, do I pay rent or do I pay tithes? I've had decisions like that, so I have sympathy on you. Wherever you're at financially, I have sympathy on it. But there's two things that I see as real, as real interesting. First of all, God wants the first and best of our time, our calendar, our family, our decision-making, our money. And then if we give him that, he sanctifies and orders the rest. When he baptizes us in the Holy Ghost, he takes over our tongues. Because if he can get a hold of your tongue... He's got a hold of you. James says the tongue's the most unruly member in the body. With it we bless and with it we curse. 
with it, you can build up people and you can tear down people. You can speak life and you can speak death. Holy Ghost wants your tongue. He says, I have a new language for you. I have a language from heaven I want to set on your tongue. God wants the pocketbook. Give me what's, what's I'm, I, I'm not saying this for fountain of life. I'm, I'm preaching Bible here, okay? You set aside that, I'm going to sanctify the rest. I think it was J.C. Penney who got to the point of where he gave away 90% of all he made. We know a minister. A lot of people criticize. A lot of, I don't know him personally. I should say that. But there's a minister a lot of people criticize because he's a prosperity guy. I heard the other day from someone who knows them that he gave $42 million to a, to a German evangelist who worked in Africa. So we can criticize him, but are we giving $42 million to help the gospel? And some nations in Africa completely turned around, completely, through that outreach. We better watch who we touch and who we speak against. I'm telling you, watch who you speak against. Randy Hill said his dad, who was a legend in our conference, J.J. Hill, he said they'd come in, he'd be watching somebody on television. They'd say, Dad, you watching that preacher? He said, watch your mouth, they just might be anointed. Watch your mouth, they just might be anointed. God wants our tongues, he wants the first fruit, he wants the best we have, and he's going to pour out the blessings as a result of it. Hallelujah. I don't know any other passage. Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know any other passage in the New Testament where he says, prove me in this thing. Try me. Test it out. Put me to the test and see if I won't do it. Our executive pastor here, he was in the early service. We're doing a funeral for his mom right here at 2 o'clock. Miss Lois Hassel, some of y'all who knew her want to come. He said years ago he and his wife got saved had been married, and he grew up in church, but he came back to the Lord. And then he said one day, his wife had never been raised in church, so he walks in one day, and he says, listen, we have to tithe. She said, what? What? What, what is tithing? And he explained it. She said, there's no way. I do the budget every month. There's no room in there for that. He said, well, let's give it 30 days. Let's see what happens in 30 days. We talked after service. That was 35 years ago. And he said, God's never failed them yet. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, he is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, Let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracles, signs, and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us. 